Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome to the Bruce Banana FC scouting room episode where we can be talking about the the Brighton game that's coming up at the weekend, which is still a big game in, in the, the kind of the prism of the season of both clubs where we've still got quite a lot to fight for. And I'm joined by Ben, you can find on Twitter at Ben Browning. I'm also joined by Drew, you can find at Miskid Remix. My name is Luke and we've got a special guest uh, with us today, which is his name is Liam and you can find him on Twitter at Albium Analytics. Uh, Liam, thanks for coming, mate. How are you feeling? Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's actually really exciting for you to come on, actually, because it's it's always it just feels like so much better when we do these episodes that we can actually talk to people like fans of the team to kind of gauge how they're feeling. So that, that I mean, really, the first thing I want to ask you is in terms of your season overall, because I think it's probably quite fair to say that maybe you didn't expect to to be in the position you're currently in now, especially when the start of the season was so good, and then Graham Potter leaves for Chelsea, and then mm-hmm. you somehow get a manager that feels to me has made you even better than Graham Potter made you so like in terms of the the kind of the, the season that you're in right now like are you surprised by it how are you feeling yeah partially uh it's been a really long season it's really weird to think back to sort of August September time um in a really really good run of form to be fair we had a few seasons where we'd started well under Potter and been sort of pushing in the top half and there was even one season under Houston I think where so 2018-19, we ended up almost being relegated and, and started that well. So we tend, tended to start seasons quite well and sort of fall away over the winter period, which I think helped having a World Cup at um, this point in the season to uh, sort of really cut that in half. And deserby has been a really different in a good and some slightly negative um, parts as well in terms of a, a change. It's a completely different style. It's less sort of tactically flexible in the sense that there's not as many sort of solutions as what Potter would try to do where he'd be changing shapes or chopping and changing players. There's generally quite a core, um, not necessarily 11, but at least sort of six, seven, eight players. It's sort of constantly a 4-2-3-1. You know, in many similar ways, I think we're probably quite an arsenal light version um, having, you know, sort of two real inverted wingers um, looking to sort of run from, from out to win. You've got a number nine who's often quite positionally flexible, particularly when it's Evan Ferguson. He's, he likes to roam around a lot. I'm really trying to beta press, play through the thirds, um, but in a way that, isn't really always like keeping the ball, counting the opposition half. It's draw the press on. We can play through quickly and incisively. And there's more three balls than under Potter. But at the same time, there's been more goals conceded. So there's goals now at both ends of the pitch. You know, saw that big loss against Everton straight off the back of beating Wolves. I think it was 6-0. So it's, um, I think I tend to have more of a coaching and analysis hat on sometimes. Not always purely a fan. And it's a bit chaotic. It can be quite emotionally draining to watch at times. But um, definitely from from a fan's perspective, having more goals, there's more entertainment value. It's definitely less boring, which um, yeah has its pros and cons. But I think for most people, it's been um, yeah an, an immense change given one chance for window, really. No pre-season. You think, you know, if this is the start of it, where this could go is is quite quite crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. I think Deserby, in terms of my opinion... He, he strikes me a lot more closer to what I'd imagine a top coach to be than Potter because of what you were saying in the sense that he has his principles and he wants to build up those principles rather than being flexible like Potter was in terms of shapes and, and systems and that. And I've, they've seen so much of like kind of interesting analysis come out about Brighton this season about the whole 
centre backs get the ball, foot on top of the ball thing, wait for the pers- the, the the player to press, pass it into the the kind of midfield double pivot and kind of play through that way to almost kind of engineer your own counter attacks. But I guess in terms of the Everton game, you know that that kind of goes show, isn't it? Like when you have that kind of main weapon of the that kind of first phase of your build up, and then you've got a team that doesn't really want to pressure centre backs. It does feel like at points, I mean, obviously Brighton are a, a work in progress, but it does feel like sometimes you need something a bit more. Is is, is that something that you were hoping you'd see um, when you saw that Everton were kind of willing to kind of sit in that mid block? Yeah, I think I think Potter would have been one to sort of make make more changes. Um, I think the ceiling was lower under him, so I think we, you know, you can look at the goal scored numbers. They were, I think, almost twice as many under under the Zerbi, just scoring at a ridiculous rate. But I think the floor might have been a bit higher defensively as well. Um, more sort of clean sheets. I think a better use of possession in the defensive sense. I have to appreciate that as a player, from what I'm told, that Zerbi was this, you know, um, enigmatic number ten who you know played in Italy in Serie A in a way that. I think his team's now reflecting how he plays. It's it's all out attack. It's you know one of these sort of heavy metal style footballs, if you like. And there's a great video of Lewis Dunk after the United game. Uh, I think this was Jimmy Redknapp sort of breaking down and um, the way they're playing out and actually saying there's an example where I think Jason still pops it through the midfield and, and Brighton gets out. He goes, actually, that's that's the wrong pattern. I've been pressed this way by this player. Um, you know the the Bruno Fernandes is pressed from this midfield on to me, so I should play. He doesn't obviously give out all the details and the secrets because that would be silly, but. Um, it's very sort of pattern driven, which I think we've seen the success of, but can have a limit if you don't then evolve. I think Antonio Conte is a perfect example. Um, even sort of Thomas Tuchel at times as well. I think it's a really good way to, when you first come into a team, to embed some success really quickly because players can learn them. They're repetitive. If you get them right, often they're a great way to pick apart opponents. But I think Arsenal have shown is a perfect example that you can hit a really, really, really good level with a really good plan A. And sometimes a plan B will take you to that next step. I think mm-hmm. City showed that um, in the win against Arsenal about having those different ways to play, different solutions. Um, and that is, I think, more and more essential, to be honest. I think people look at a plan A and say, oh, you know, you need to play this plan A to the to the 10 out of 10. You, you probably need an, an 8, 9 out of 10 plan A. Can you have a 6, 7 out of 10 plan B? Because um, there's, you know, very few games. Most games you can win with a plan A, but, you know, that that's how... I think titles get defined uh, and even European chasing spots, you know, those games where you lose against teams around you. Brighton lost both games against Fulham this season, who I know haven't quite, um, you know, aren't quite going to make the European spots. But again, they got one point from two games against Brentford. Um, I conceded quite a few goals and, and some poor goals and that. So there's work to be done. But I think, it, as I sort of said to some friends and some family members, I'm like, as a Brighton fan, if you can't enjoy these times right now, then I think you're in the wrong sport. Like the club has come a long way, as I'm told from, you know, a dad from, all the people in my family that have watched Brighton a lot longer than I have, um, you know, like there's there's so much to love. You, you can look at, and I'll be hypercritical just because of the role that I do it, desiring for more success and, and, you know, everyone wants a shiny trophy, but you have to appreciate the evolution of the squad. Um, the fact that everyone now wants our players is also a very good sign. The success of the coaching pathway, the number of academy players that don't make it to Brighton, but go elsewhere and and, and are successful. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to just to sit and absorb and watch, to be honest with you. Um, uh, so I wanted to I wanted to jump in here if you didn't mind. I didn't know uh, if you had something planned then. But so I have a, a decent connection to to Belgium and Union Saint Germain. So obviously Brighton, with your honor, you've made uh, some pretty big strides with how you utilize that club, their own story, and bring on some players. You know, obviously everyone talks about Corey Matoma, how he's come along. Um, but one player that a lot of uh, Premier League fans don't know much about is Simon Adingra, who's also on loan there this season. 
he's done brilliantly. And he's actually, for me, in my estimation, I think he's actually come along better uh, in, during his time in Brussels than Matoma actually did during his. So my question to you is, given the evolution of Brighton under the Zerbi, maybe how your expectations might change moving forward into next season, um, how you're going to navigate the market, especially if you get European football, where do you see a dinger fitting in next year? Do you think he has a place? Obviously, this links with Matoma maybe leaving. Does everybody want to this day? Um, so for me, just how my brain works, I'm kind of curious just about asking you where you think he might fit in. Does he have a future there? Do you think he might just move him on? How do you think he would get on under Deserby if he does actually have a role next season? Mm-hmm. I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah, I've not watched too many full 90s, but um, I've seen plenty of clips and plenty of stuff in Europe where he's, he's been scoring, he's been assisting, which is obviously great to see. It's it's one of the shunts of sort of the the loan pathway. It's been fascinating because Solly March is a great sort of example for this in that Graham Potter never really liked wingers. He was a possession-based coach that used the ball in attack, but also to defend. And quite, well, I say quite famously within the Brighton sort of sphere, at the start of the season had Leandro Trossard and Solly March's wing-backs. So of course, I know you guys will know all about Leandro Trossard now playing different sort of forward roles. But, you know, these players, Trossard did get goals and assists, but March, is, all of his goals and assists have come under Zerbi, where he's played as this inverted right winger. But purely that, he was sort of a, a utility man, would fulfil different roles. And I see that now as a great sort of sign for someone like a dingra that can say, okay, I'm this sort of pure, um, you know, right-footed left winger or left-footed right winger. Um, the same for Fecundo Bonanotte, who's come in and looks really exciting. Julio and Cizos played a bit out on the left as well. That, you know, for all these direct players that want to carry the ball, they want to dribble at defences and be incisive, cut inside, have the fullback overlap them. It's such a specific role that I just think we haven't seen at Brighton since Hewton was in charge, to be honest, since we had Anthony Knockout on the right, since we had Jose Esquiedo on the left. Um, there were some poor sort of winger signings back then but I think now it's it's the perfect time for those style players um, and that is I just guess the the beauty or the difficulty for some players in terms of a timing thing that there would have been players that were signed you know a few seasons ago that that role just wasn't something that was needed or necessary um, and I think to then have those players you know there's even more of a reason for Deserby to, to use this way it's not going to be a case of just let me copy and paste my Sassuolo system because from what I've seen this is largely what he did there but it's a case of I've got the talent to do this as well I can't force a system if the players aren't there so to you know have the knowledge that you've got players that can either come in and one in the hope that Matoma stays, Adinger is the sort of person that you need for squad depth anyway. Um, in terms of one for a, for a cup run, um, two because we've not got a huge squad anyway. You've been quite reliant on certain key players not picking up injuries. Um, we've really got quite a dearth of number nine to be honest. There's not a huge variety there, so you just need to sort of replenish the squad. I think um, we've lost key players, so there's probably some money to spend, but. I think you're looking at European football. I think Burnley are a really important sort of case study for us. Of you've had a really good season. You've probably overperformed to a degree as well. I think it's unfair to say every season we should be sort of hitting sixth. You know that that yeah. this might be a season where we overperform a bit. Um, you know you, you can't permanently raise the bar. Sometimes you say, okay, maybe our bar's top half finish. Let's pop over it. Sometimes we it's hard, but you have to be content with that. And I think you guys will have that even worse than us now of saying, look, <laughs> we can't always be title challengers. Yeah. Um, I think Liverpool's uh, data team has sort of said that a bit about like what a good season is all the time. Um, and I get it. It's difficult when you've had the nice thing to say, okay, maybe we're not, we're not there. But um, yeah, I, I think that depth, um, and he's probably got something like a Dingwood sort of capacity to be more than a depth player. But I think that is the quality that we're going to need uh, and to have players coming in with that European experience. Um, Alexis McAllister came in with Copa Libertadores experience, which is another great example of like having these players from different parts of the world that, you know, you've got a Champions League level player where you can't always sign those, but you sign them from elsewhere in the world and they do come with that experience. Obviously, um, it was 4-2, I think, on New Year's Eve when we last played at um, the Amex. 
Um, do you think we, we spoke already about baiting the press, and obviously Arsenal's uh, tendency is to press quite high and you know try and win it back pretty quickly in the in the defensive third. Do you think that we might see uh, Deserby change slightly, like tweak his system slightly to maybe uh, find a way to get round that and maybe change the way Brighton play? I know you spoke already about him being quite inflexible at times, you know, to a fault as the Everton game showed. Do you think we might see maybe he? I don't know, learn from that or maybe tweak something slightly different? And what do you think that might be to try and get around this this Arsenal side? Yeah, the one interesting thing he's sort of done in possession, which has been more against the back five, is he's often pulled um, left-back perfectly stupid and inside to sort of make a back three. Um, kind of similar to the 2-3-5 the that Arsenal do, but more of a 3-2-5 with sort of the, the double pivot and then really push on Matoma, really push on March, who are generally the wingers to sort of make a make a front five and that way you can just basically open up those passing lanes to the wide players. You can just constantly cycle um, the ball into them and get them sort of going 1v1. So I think he's going to want to minimise transition to a degree because that's at least what I see as sort of a, a real sort of super strength for Arsenal that it's a bit of a weird game because it's two teams that are going to play in quite similar yeah. ways and not necessarily styles that cancel each other out, but something's going to have to give. There are two teams that average a lot of the ball. Um, Brighton still is in a way, so I think average really good possession. Um, two teams that don't always seem to want to get the ball too much in terms of defensive uh, mechanism. It's sort of get the ball forward, we're going to attack. Um, so I'm not really sure it's going to have to, something's going to have to give one way or another. Um, well, so perhaps we think. Apologies, we think not going to the question. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. I don't know, but I'm excited to see is, uh, mm. is sort of the, the, long, the long answer. Another thing that I think is really interesting is that at the moment, and we, we spoke a little bit before we started recording about whether or not you'd want Champions League, but one of the things that I've been thinking when uh, up until lead up to this game is right now people are saying Liverpool are back in for a shout at Champions League. And if Brighton were to win their games in hand, they're a point behind Liverpool. So for me, the maths kind of like checks out to Brighton could be in with a shout as well. If you were to win your next two games, which is admittedly tough games, you're going to Arsenal, Newcastle away, <laughs> which is kind of like... Yeah, then City's the other pan. game in hand. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah. If you were to let's say hypothetically win both those games, do you think you're coming you've got Southampton at home after that, and obviously you still got Man City and then you've got Villa, which is it's tough games. But if you were to win the next two games, do you think you'd have a legitimate shout for Champions League? I mean I, I can't argue the maths, I absolutely won't sort of argue the, the stats on that. It's 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 very, I think, cautious as both a fan and as a coach to sort of start looking too far up the table and mm-hmm. say I realize I'm sounding like a player in an interview to say taking it one <laughs> game at a time, um, but almost not wanting to go. Let me start doing the maths and then get the hope of it, and I'm then the, the crashing disappointment of, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's the most important one, right? That's what they will say. Mm. But um, I, I think it's it's a real good marker that we're still in. You know, we're still in the position where mathematically that is not a ridiculous possibility. I think it was towards the end of last season, maybe with two or three games to go. If teams above us had dropped points and we'd won our final games, we could have had an outside shelter sort of sneaking in. We had a really, really good finish to the season, which ironically, I think the catalyst of that was winning at Arsenal in really, really terrible form. Um, so whether that ends up being a springboard again, um, we'll wait and see. Um, but I think I think it needs to be seen as more of like a, a good marker rather than say, look, let's start doing the maths and the permutations because I, I don't know, and I sort of said this to you guys before we started recording that, I'm not convinced it would be the best thing for us in sort of the long term. Um, I don't think we necessarily have the squad depth for something like particularly the Champions League. Um, I don't think our, our starting eleven and our style 
um, is currently at the Champions League level. It's really, really good. That's not wishing I downplay at all. It's really good. I don't think we'll be out of place in the Conference League. Definitely. I think seeing where West Ham have you been in that the competition League. this season. and Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I think that's a feasible possibility. Um, I do have some questions about us as a knockout team. Um, I think well, we've been you, quite you a good... You know, Carabao, we've been a sample-sized team. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And that, that that was a really good game, I thought, actually. A good recovery from 1-0 down. Mm. Um again with some sort of fringe players. I think we had Tarek Lamptey left back yeah, in that game, which was um, quite an interesting one. That He did, he did, he scored. I was actually in the way and it was really peculiar because I was with a friend and we were sort of, we looked at the team at kickoff and went, ah, oh, it's going to be like a, a backfire or something. And he popped up with like Lamptey, uh, uh, left back. There were just players all over the place that you were like, what are you doing there? Um, so yeah, that is a good example, I think, of how, and this is more than just what Deserve can do. This is a club-wide thing of like, you know, getting more players through at the top end of the academy. Um, you're going to get more players through just financially, um, you know, buy players and invest in in jealous squad, which I think we've done quite well. Players are going to leave uh, the club feel very self aware of that, which I think is not good but healthy. And that you know, it's not suddenly then leaving gaping holes that, that need to be filled. But you just don't want to peak too much and then crash. I think is is really the aim of saying, okay, let's have some sort of long term sustainability. Southampton did really really well for a period of time and then crashed. I'm scared that will be us one day. Um, but trying to enjoy the present uh, at this Looking, time. I think Sorry, these are all. Oh, who's going first? How dare you? How dare you? Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of an interesting. I mean, you bring up some good points. But there's a lot of cautionary tales about clubs that overachieve, and then unfortunately, a lot of fans aren't level-headed. You know, so say for example, let's just take Brighton for example. You guys have done brilliantly. But I think for me, Deserby deserves a considerable shout for manager of the season, given how well you've come on after Potter and how quickly it's happened. If you were to get top four. Unfortunately, a lot of fans, you know, their expectations might change literally overnight. If you all of a sudden now it's well, we want Champions League next year as well, and I don't <laughs> think Brighton, I don't think Brighton's equipped to 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 build a club that quickly to sustain that. And most clubs actually aren't, irrespective of Premier League finances, the money that comes in from Champions League or just in your Premier League um, sponsorship. How do you think should you get Europa League? How do you think you would like if it was up to you? I guess where would you want the club to go from there? Would you prefer kind of an incremental growth where you kind of sit in that top six for the next couple, like three, four, five years, really kind of really get your roots down? Or would you rather kind of maybe push on for the next level one year after that? Because it's a difficult balance, isn't it? You know, you see sometimes, yeah, so. um, like Leicester's a prime example when they won the Premier League. Everyone thought, you know, Leicester's, you know, people had them knocking us out of the top six, which is mind-blowing you think about it now. And their hilarious yeah. fall from grace on the back of, the, you know, their spending started to change bit panicky, went for names instead of things that actually fit, wrong managerial choices. Mm-hmm. So how, where do you see Brighton kind of building out from there if you do get top six this year? Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's the right pathway for you? Again, I'm I'm not sure that there's a perfect answer to it. Um, I don't think it's entirely feasible to scare a club up ridiculously quickly. I think that, that big six in, in England is quite an impenetrable force. Um, the sort of the Super League showed, I think, more than anything of really sort of trying to, to compete with some of those. I think they're in a really sort of good, healthy spot. And I think Brentford feel like they're up there as well, but maybe not as permanently of saying, okay, we're, you know, there's a lot to be said for being sort of the, the best of the rest. And you start to, as you say, you start to evolve too quickly. Everything changes. And and to be fair, don't get me wrong, things will need to change a bit because you can't just keep buying sort of players from South America, from, you know, the, the far reaches of um, sort of European leagues and that be your only then method because that's one, the hit rate is probably not so quite low, but it takes a lot of factors to sort of all roll together to say, okay, I've got the right player. 
I think people don't speak enough about sort of the coaching um, and the the talent development pathway that's there at Brighton. Of you know, you're not signing these players that are coming in at top six standard of what they are in sort of a year or two. These are being really well developed, um, and that's across you know everything in terms of um, physical, technical, um, their their sports science side, their their analytical you know ability to, to read the game and sort of view the game. So, I think keeping all those core elements that have made Brighton a successful team and just sort of trying to crank them all up a notch because for anyone that sort of doesn't know about the, the geography of England, Brighton's on the south coast and it's it's by the sea. So it's just along from where Southampton is, which means from an academy perspective, the catchment area, you can sign players up to, I think it's about 14 or 15, within a 90-minute sort of drive radius from you. So half of Brighton's catchment area is in the sea, which means you have half the sort of number of available players. Compare that to Arsenal, if you can go 90 minutes north of London, 90 minutes south of London into Brighton's territory, um, you know, have a much wider sort of scope that they can start to get players in. So you take someone like Benjamin White, obviously now with Arsenal, formerly of Brighton, um, released by Southampton, age 16. Um, Robert Sanchez, currently sort of, well, in contention with the number one spot, was number one until sort of a, a few months ago. Um, signed from Sp- uh, a Spanish club, I think, when he was about 12, 13, 14. So sort of having these different ways of saying, we've got to do a very specific way because of what our finances are, because of where we are geographically, just sort of being self-aware of those constraints, I think that can evolve and that can change, but I think never losing sight of who you are and what you are. And there's still a really good element, I think, of community within the club. It's still owned by, um, you know, who is a professional poker player, a guy called Tony Bloom, um, professional gambler who is a Brighton fan. So I think that really helps that you've not got a big overarching ownership struggle. But I imagine at some point, someone's going to want to say, I'd like a piece of that. Um, they look like a very good club. They've got a massive reach now in Japan with Kari Matoma. Um, they've got good connections to the States, sponsored by American Express. The ground is called the American Express Community Stadium, obviously shortened to, to Amex. So it's, yeah, it's not losing sight of the bigger picture, I think, and saying, okay, let's keep the good parts and then evolve the bits that need to go up to standard to, to be able to compete with those top teams. Because you don't want to be a one-season team of saying, oh, you know, we got to an FA Cup semi-final, we had a good run, we got to Europe, and then, like Bernie did, I think, got through one qualifying round and then got knocked out. And you're like, no, we want to, want to go compete, but doing so in a way that we can do that again next season and then the season after. Um, and even then, if we do drop off, let's raise our floor a bit so our floor isn't what Leicester are doing and now sort of scrapping to mm-hmm. even send the league. So it's just a balance, right, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, Take, I taking our, um, our favourite phrase of the day and get one game at a time, do you think that Brighton will sense any sort of weakness in Arsenal? I suppose... We've had quite a lot of change, um, especially in defence. Obviously, Zinchenko's out for the remainder. Well, he's out for th- this game at least. Um, William Saliba's out for the remainder of the season. Um, it looks like Jorginho's sort of made that position in midfield his own over Thomas Partey. Do you think that there are places that Brighton will look to exploit in those areas, or is it just a case of sort of a tactical match up and see what gives? Yeah, possibly a bit of both. I mean, I hope they know how to defend Leandro Trossard if, <laughs> if he plays. Um, would be sort of a, a really key thing. But Arsenal have been weeks. I've been looking at them, particularly sort of their their split of defensive performance at home compared to away games and just the, the sheer volume of away clean sheets that haven't transpired at home. And we were literally saying this earlier. They feel... Yeah, yeah it's for, for a piece I'm sort of currently, currently looking at. And um, they feel almost a bit self-destructive at times uh, at home. I don't know whether it's an atmosphere thing, it's a pressure thing. I also think it's just as, as fundamentally simple as they're actually a really good, compact, organised side when they're one or two nil up and can then sit back. You've got the speed, the directness to hit teams on the break. I think Arteta's coached a sort of a really good press and a really good mid-block and can hold a high line well. And I think Ramsdale saves and 
best defensive moments for me come, and you you see this as a player that's played for relegation teams in in Bournemouth and Sheffield United of you know low block saves where there's bodies in the way, timber things around the post, not always one v ones, not always smothers. Um, so whether Brighton try and find a way to play into that, which is ironically, I guess, what Everton did against Brighton most recently, of saying, you know, we don't need to go out all guns blazing. It might be set traps, have a bit less possession, um, which isn't always the way that Serbia wants to sort of play things. But say, okay, if you give them, you know, too much space in behind, you give them. So sometimes you can press the team too well. You start making their mind up for them. I think, yeah, whether they do look to set traps would be particularly interesting. Um, but in all honesty, I'd expect a bit of all of it. I'd expect. Don't know if there'll be tons of early goals, but I think the longer the game goes on, a bit like the, the United game for Brighton recently was a great example, which the, the one at the Amex that obviously had a goal in second half injury time, but sort of throughout the game, as that sort of evolves of players get fatigued, how subs come on and play a role. I know Arsenal have been really good at sort of adding goals on the bench this season, which I don't think Brighton have been as good at. Um, but they've started games ridiculously fast, Brighton. I think almost by this point, I know it was a thing for Arsenal early in the season, but I think Brighton have more goals now early in games than Arsenal do. So it's... Um, it's been a weird thing of some games where they're flying up the traps. Some games, they just don't seem to get started for so a while. So don't get to the Emirates late. I can't tell you which Brighton you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's going to be chaos, <laughs> to be honest. I think so. <laughs> I think that's um, a really good place to kind of t- uh, leave the, the Brighton discussion. Thanks so much for coming on, Liam. You can find um, you. Liam at um, Albion Analytics. It's uh, really, really brilliant stuff in there. Thanks for your insight, mate. Honestly, it was, it was really stellar. It was really, really good. Thank you for having me, guys. Cheers. So we thank Liam for coming on, obviously, like, guys. So we kind of got a bit of a, a Brighton masterclass there, to be fair. We kind of got all the information we could want on Brighton and more. So my first question to ask, and I'll point it towards Drew. Do you feel better or worse about this game? Or, you know, I guess the same. <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's better or worse. I think it's just... I think the defensive absentees are going to be a problem for me. Honestly, you know, it's just not in term, not just in terms of if we're going to be able to play our game, because I, I think we all agree we're not at our best when uh, Tierney's at left back. Obviously, we don't have the same control. Uh, we don't have the same amount of creativity. He, I, mean, I think the defensive aspect of Tierney's game is probably better than Zinchenko, so maybe that offsets it a little bit. But the way Brighton press is incredibly impressive. The way that their transition is quite strong. Um, they have Ferguson back as well, so he's a bit, a bit of a different animal than if it's a uh, Welbeck or Undav as well. So I think there's there's a few bits that Brighton can bring to the table that can actually cause some problems. So I do think um, it's not going to be easy. And obviously, you know, they've gotten results against us earlier in the season as well. I don't think that was a fluke. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, we, we can't go out and run out winners, but it's one of those tricky ties where, you know, historically lots of big sides struggle against those maybe teams that are like just outside the top four, top six that, that still play quite well. You know, I, I do think when I said before that, you know, deserve deserves a considerable shot for a manager of the season. I don't think that was hyperbole on my part. I think he's, he's done that well and he's smart enough to actually counter teams to their strengths. Um, so it's, it's tricky. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think it'll be close. I think there'll, there'll be chances at both ends for sure. I do think that, Brighton can be gotten at as well, but we just have to be on our game. And as we saw against much lesser sides than they are, you know, Saints, West Ham, etc. Um, if we're not on it, they'll they'll find goals as well. It, it's it's going to be tough, um, but it's the kind of test you want to have as well, especially at at this part of the season where there's been so much talk about 
you know, us being bottle jobs or, you know, poor results against, like I said, you know, Saints, West Ham, et cetera, where this is the kind of result you want to go out, be dominant at home, kind of almost set a marker down to say, like, look, like we, we just kind of um, asserted ourselves against a team where a lot of people fancy them as arguably one of the better or best attacking teams in England, if not Europe, for the last six months. It's a huge test. Uh, so I don't think the, the conversation necessarily made me feel better or worse. It's just more of it kind of solidified the concerns I have, but also as, as we just saw when Brighton played Everton, you know, they got absolutely run through. And it's not that Brighton necessarily played poorly. It's that those, that, you know, those one or two areas of the game that can be, can be gotten at, especially mm-hmm. if you break it them at pace. It's as good as Lewis Dunk is, you know, you can absolutely roast them for pace if, you know, if the wingbacks aren't doing their job, if they're exposed in midfield. So, for, from the uh, Serbia standpoint, he has to make sure that um, the midfield is actually shielding that 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 center back pair. Because if not, then you you will get Martinelli, Saka, you're running at them. You will get Odegaard be able to, to kind of draw them out and, and play those both. We, we know he can play. So yeah, I don't know. It's going to be. I I think it's probably one of the more entertaining matches we would have seen all season. Given what's at stake, we have still have a chance in the Premier League. They still want to go up as high up the table as possible. Serbia's going to want top six if he can get it, obviously, and they deserve it. So, yeah, it'll it'll be a good one no matter what. But <laughs> I might say that now, but like, will we be cool in the chat? You know, come Sunday morning, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be good. And 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 for to their credit, Brighton are really fun to watch as well. And I love I absolutely love their story because, you know. I guess we could admit it here, like all of us, you know, play football managers stuff like that. And we always talk about like doing football manager final save where you take clubs like Brighton and make them into something. The way that they've come on, it's exactly what kind of like the things you love to see in terms of smaller, smaller risk clubs going against the grain, brilliant recruitment, you know, a really highly tired manager who you managed to pluck where he could have gone to much bigger sides than Brighton. And he still might, he probably will go on to a much bigger size than Brighton within the next couple of seasons, depending on how their story goes. But I think it's a brilliant advert for the Premier League. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a good one. But yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty much on the fence about <laughs> whether I think we're going to lose. I guess the other is all happening. It could also be a draw. But from our standpoint, we have to win, you know, and um, that's kind of it for me. But I don't think it's going to be an easy one either. Yeah, I think the, the lineup's huge, isn't it? Because it was. I mean, Ben mentioned it earlier, there's going to be no Saliba, there's going to be no Zinchenko. You were saying that we don't have that control without Zinchenko, especially when Tini comes in. And I do think that football is a lot of time is about partnerships and relationships on the pitch. And one of the things that have been my thoughts when we were given the news that Zinchenko wasn't going to be playing this game was, for me, Tierney and Martinelli don't really have that relationship. To me, they're they're good in in similar areas, so they just tend to get in each other's way. So like my thoughts would be, you either put someone like Trossard or Smith Rowe on the left wing, put Tinny there, let Trossard and or Smith Rowe, whichever one plays, let's say Trossard for the sake of it. Trossard kind of moves into that left half space. Tierney has that kind of wide left spot. And then you kind of bring Xhaka back with Jorginho to kind of have that that kind of two. And then essentially, I guess, Xhaka kind of takes that Zinchenko role where he's kind of in that central area and, and kind of, uh, pinging passes around and other than that I think maybe it's not even out of the question that Xhaka goes into that left back role and we have um, uh, maybe like Fabio Vieira gets a, gets kind of like a risky another chance where he comes in and then Fabio Vieira goes into that left half space and it means Martinelli can kind of stay where he's been playing his best football season 
it's a tough one because we're not up against a team that can't punish us. So we have to get it right, um, Ben. So with that in mind, do you have any thoughts on the lineup? Is there anything that you're hoping to see? Or, or have you almost kind of like you're looking through kind of hands over your eyes and just kind of waiting to see what comes up? Yeah, um, a bit of the latter. To be honest, I'm hoping that the Brighton that showed up against Everton show up and they um, let us play 2v2 on the break or 3v2 on the break. But that seems very unlikely. <laughs> um, I agree. I think that Tierney and Martinelli is a bit difficult to sort of work together. I think Trossard, funnily enough, I remember you saying in January that Trossard doesn't uh, work particularly well in central areas, but I think he and Tierney would... I said the opposite. Oh, was it? It was the opposite. Works better in central areas. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'll uh, (laughs) retract that statement. But yeah, I think that Trossard and Tierney might be a better combination than Martinelli and Tierney um, for this game. And I also, I agree. I think... It's a, it's a tough one. I don't think you can put Fabio Vieira in there because that midfield pivot for Brighton is so, so good. Um, he wasn't good against Southampton, was he? No, it's it's so press-resistant. It, it seems to tick just about every box. I mean, they've got, what, what's it going to be, 150 million worth of talent when they both leave um, McAllister and Sysetis. So um, we'll have to see. But I think that it's a game where I'm not sure Arsenal have the tools to beat Brighton. Um I think we would if we were full strength, and I think you know um, we would if we had different players available or whatever. Um, but it just feels like we don't have we don't have the control of Zinchenko. We don't have um, you know the ability to really squeeze up. We have a bit more with Kivio, but we still don't have Saliba levels. Um, we don't. We have. Yeah, it's a tough game because Kivio's only played twice and he's been impressive. But you know, do you chuck him in against Brighton again? I guess you do, and then see what happens. But we don't know if he's gonna shit the bed at some point um you know i think mustafi had a great first five games or whatever and i'm not i'm not saying the two are in any way comparable i'm just saying you know these things happen so mm. um i think there's a lot of question marks over arsenal going into this game uh even more so without zinchenko than maybe would be ideal when you're playing a brighton side that are very very good and also match up against arsenal pretty well to be honest, as soon as you said that, I got the a flashback of Mustafi and Koscielny keeping Diego Costa quiet <laughs> against Chelsea, and everyone thinking, "Wow, these are the guys." I remember we signed him for thirty-five million. He was a World Cup winner. He hit the ground running. He was decent, and then all of a sudden, you know, before you know it, he's yelling at teammates after making stupid mistakes. So, it happens. <laughs> Jesus. So I, I feel like so kind of building off of what, what Ben just said. I think we have the tools to be Brighton. The, the thing, and this this kind of goes back to what I was kind of annoyed about before and getting into a lot of discourse, you know, on Twitter and social media is that obviously fans are entitled to want us to play a certain way as much as humanly possible, but we're not tethered to that idea. You don't have to be tethered to that idea. And I think um, about the Brighton chat before is that you, you have to be able to, to tweak as necessary. And if you look at Brighton as they are, and you note the strengths and weaknesses that they have, and you also notice our potential deficiencies, given the fact that Tierney is going to be starting, given the fact that um, Slew is going to be out. You have to tweak your game. You just have to. So maybe be a bit more direct. And I think the blueprint is how you just saw with what Everton did. They sat a bit deeper. They didn't allow as much space. They were more compact. And then they hit Brighton on the break. And we have the, the pace to do that. So why not tweak it? I'm not saying we should be controlled play. But you have to have to be a bit more balanced. And one of the things that I always used to talk about when I wanted to see with Arsenal moving forward under Arteta, when we assumed what he was going to do and he ended up going on to do, is that you have to be more of like 
Pep City, more like someone like Prime Barcelona. Not that I want to be the exact message of them, but more of just that it has to be a team that's able to control play, but also flip a switch and immediately go more direct and be more incisive and just go at them when you find the space instead of trying to build play. I think this is one of those matches we have to see that in. That'll also kind of negate maybe some concerns about the fact that Salud is not there or the concerns that we don't know what Kibiro is going to show up or the fact that Tierney can't control play. That's okay as long as you tweak with the contingencies that you know that those things exist, right? So I do think we can still win. But I think if we try to force our, our play on Brighton the way we kind of typically have done, I think you could you might find a more of a Southampton performance in that rather than, say, a Newcastle or a Chelsea. Um, because I do think this every will try to find as many ways as possible to minimize allowing us to play. And if that happens, we've seen this time and time again this season struggle when that happens. And I, I do see Brighton being more of like a sporting in terms of they were they allowed chances, but throughout the, those two legs, sporting had the, the bigger chances than we did. We had more chances, but they had more key chances for me, I feel like. And they brought out a lot of the deficiencies that you kind of see when we're on our game. They capitalized on I do see Brighton being able to do this, particularly because they're not afraid to, to play narrow, to run at pace narrow. And we all have concerns about if teams keep it narrow and attack essentially where we struggled in the past. And we don't know how Kubrick will stand up to that because I do think he's done well since coming in. But I think Chelsea was a cakewalk for, for the most part. <laughs> Um, to, to be completely honest with you, and I do think he did well against Newcastle, but I think that was we were so good that day. So I do think he's not truly been tested yet, but that's something he deserves to play. But I do think Brighton offer that kind of like Matoma specifically because he will he will isolate defenders and he will run at them, and he any any kind of any kind of contact. If he, if he pulls you out, he'll he'll get by you. It's going to be really really tricky. So I do think we have to we have to change something. If we're going to get a result, we can't just sit there and say, if we play our game, we'll win. It's not always that easy from a tactical perspective. And I do think the times that I've been most frustrated this season is when we've tried to force our game. And I don't think we're good enough to do that all the time just yet. I think that's the ultimate goal. But few sides in the world can do that. And we're not there yet. So a few tweaks. I think we should go with the same 11. But I do think we have to tweak how we play ever so slightly to make sure that we're giving ourselves the best platform to actually get a result. Yeah, I think respect is maybe a good word for it, isn't it? Is that we have to respect that Brighton are a really good team and we, we don't have the emotional narratives that came with the Newcastle game where we were almost kind of like, we've spoken last probably about kind of defeating the demons of last season. And obviously Ramsdale was saying about how they showed him the kind of the clips of in the, the All or Nothing doc where, you know, showing their faces afterwards where they'd effectively gone looking for a win and, and lost Champions League so obviously that game comes with a lot of storylines that we don't have right now against Brighton on Sunday we need to have that control like as you were saying we need to be a bit more clever a bit less reactive and a bit more kind of like plan based but I think that's probably a good uh, place to leave it um, we've had a, a, an amazing guest so make sure you go and follow Albion Analytics on uh, on Twitter if, uh, if, if you want to see amazing uh, Brighton content um, my name is Luke and I've been joined by Ben. You can find on Twitter at Ben Browning. I've uh, also been joined by Drew. You can find a Mixed Kid Remix. This has been our kind of scouting room episode of the, the Brighton game, which um, is coming up on Sunday. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Erdegaard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the
by Saka. 